You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always, sadly not in person, sadly back in Texas, is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank, how was your visit to Milwaukee? It was very short. Uh, I think I've been on five airplanes in the last two and a half days. So um, so yeah, I've, I've for, for various reasons, I've been on a lot of planes and uh i i am back at home in austin and i'm getting on a plane in uh eight hours again um Ugh. so <laughs> so it's been it's been a hectic uh, couple days and for that reason i was just happy to get any win possible on saturday <laughs> um you know against the sacramento kings the bucks having already throttled them once earlier in the week obviously um you know it was going to be interesting to see how both teams sort of changed uh, if at all, uh, going into that game and, and obviously from a Bucks perspective, uh, it being essential to figure out a way to win one way or the other. And, and obviously you want to hold them to a high standard and not just, you know, scrape a win out. Um, and in that regard, it was a mixed bag. Uh, selfishly, I was still very happy slash relieved leaving the game just because I had traveled a long ways to see the game and obviously to see the Bucks win and, and at least have extended stretches of, of at least you know, scoreboard dominance, maybe not great all around basketball, but certainly much better than uh, their opponents. Um, there were at least some positives and obviously Giannis, uh, you know, being the, the stat monger that I am for Giannis, uh, it was enjoyable to see Giannis uh, once again, lay the wood to a Sacramento Kings team that despite some changes to their starting five that I thought might at least help them contain him a little bit better. Uh, they, they didn't. And Giannis, you know, what is it? Uh, did he finish 33 points on yep. career high 17 to 22 from the foul line? Um, so again, not a, uh, not a sparkling performance all around as the bucks, you know, built a huge lead. And then, uh, the lead dropped down to, to just one at one point in the last couple minutes. But, um, thankfully, uh, Giannis making a nice read to get John Henson, a short hook shot. And then, uh, they lack, latched down defensively and got enough stops to to claw out. What was it? One hundred nine, one hundred four was at the final. Yep. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, not a work of art, but um, certainly uh, keeping the momentum going and and obviously a much bigger test uh, starting Monday and, and the rest of this week with uh, with the Boston Celtics and then Pistons. Yeah, you look at that one hundred nine, one hundred four victory on Saturday night over the Kings. Uh, another nice performance from the the. Can I call them the big three? I've been debating whether or not I can call them the big three or not. Um, but it certainly feels that way. So the big three of Giannis, Chris, and Eric Bledsoe. Uh, Giannis goes for 33 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, 3 steals, and a block. And like you said, 17 of 22 career high in free throw attempts. I, makes as well, I believe. I would need to double check. I know for Gotta sure be. Gotta be, uh, yeah. free throw attempts at 22. He's done 21 two other times. Uh, Chris Middleton, 25 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals. Oh, excuse me. 
25 points, two rebounds, an assist, and a steal, and then Bledsoe, 19 points, four rebounds, two assists, and two steals as well. Um, all three kind of gelling together, doing some interesting things, and I wanted to talk a little bit more about Giannis's performance. Um, it, we just touched on it briefly uh, before the podcast, but you were mentioning how uh, there's just times where Giannis looks really just kind of like worn down and like tired and asking for a blow, and you wouldn't really think that in a game against the Kings, we're up by 20 points. Like that wouldn't be a game where you're looking for that. And I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I mentioned it briefly, but when I see 22 free throw attempts for Giannis, I just feel like very rarely am I seeing ones where a Giannis stays on his feet or B Giannis doesn't take a big shot. And I don't mean like a clutch shot. I mean like a big shot from an opposing player where, where he ends up taking a hit. And I was just thinking about how early in his career, Dwayne Wade would always go to the free throw line and he'd have these just obscene free throw attempt rates, but he would always just be beat down because he was throwing his body around and he he was taking some of those shots. And when I, when I think, again, maybe you can speak on this a little bit more because your wife is a Rockets fan, um, but it, I've, it feels like Harden does such a nice job, like extending his arms, getting his arms in positions where defenders hit them. That I feel like a lot of the time he ends up staying on his feet or, or just taking a, a really a softer shot. Um, so when I see twenty-two free throw attempts for Giannis, obviously it's very good. That's good, efficient basketball. That's going to be a good night for him, no matter what. But also, I immediately start to think about kind of the beating that he's going to take for him to get 22 free throw attempts. And I don't know, like, obviously you're always looking for efficient basketball, but part of me wonders like, man, can he find a way to, he's got these insanely long arms. Can he find a way to stick them out and get those hacks on his arms rather than actually taking the shot and hitting the deck or um, just kind of taking a beating? Yeah. And, and one of the nice things about going to a game and and being there in person is, um, you know, being able to, to see, the players you want to see and be able to focus on them. And, you know, you're not uh, restricted by the camera angle, whatever, you know, you, you just find your eyes sort of following what you find interesting. And so of course in a Bucks game, I'm going to watch Giannis, even if he's trailing the play, you know, I'll, I'll watch sort of what he's doing, his body language. And um, yeah, it was interesting. I mean, he, he shot what did he shoot 12 free throws in the first quarter or something on yeah. that level. Um, it must've had like three or four that were uh, three or four, trips to the line that just came from steals or just getting out on the break and you know just putting pressure on the defense I thought they did a really nice job of um getting the ball to Giannis quick and early and obviously when you know he gets steals then it's pretty easy to do that um but him going you know just attacking the rim seeing you know even when Sacramento had two or three guys back um he did a good job of like picking a lane where only one of those guys was really going to be able to defend him and then getting them just on skates and then you know being able to initiate contact put them in positions where they really had no choice but to body him and um as you said i mean it, it it's tiring because not only is he sprinting up and down the court but then he's taking you know hits and um not that he's being you know chucked to the ground every time or something like that but um but yeah he's taking some abuse and um you know in the fourth quarter he got a couple trips to the foul line when you know bogdan bogdanovich who is obviously not a big guy but was trying to you know the, the kings in general were trying to play very physical uh, on the ball 
they were trying to deny those, you know, passes to the to the high post that the Bucks like to do to initiate offense. Um, and you know, Bogdanovich was just, you know, clutching and grabbing, and um, certainly, you know, making the referees' jobs a, a bit harder because, you know, basically just seeing how much he could push it. And, he was making them call it. Like, you're yeah. going to call a foul on me, otherwise, I'm just going to keep grabbing. Yeah, I mean, he got his money's worth for yes. sure. And um, I deserve. I mean, he was complaining a little bit, but I mean, it certainly deservedly uh, sent Giannis to the line. And uh, by the way, very nice to see Giannis not only hitting fourth quarter free throws, but doing it with the MVP chance, which <laughs> he's been much like, better at that this year. Yeah, it seems like he he just. And again, I'm probably jinxing it, but like it seems like the MVP champs make him better at shooting free throws. I guess, uh, which would be a nice turn, just because we talked about uh, <laughs> early in the season my nerves in in seeing uh, seeing that, and especially last year when he would miss them whenever the the random times that that we did hear those. So, um, so yeah, some physicality, and and you know, I was watching Giannis, and I think it was like three minutes left in the first quarter. Um, you know, he as he was running up the court, he gave Jason Kidd a quick little motion, you know, where you take your fingers and you kind of spin around each other like these these soccer. Uh, uh, you know, symbol for for needing a change and um, a substitution, and and then he he still took another three on those. He had already taken one three, and he took another one on the next possession. But um, he seemed to be pretty gassed in in the first quarter, and then the third quarter as well. I think he played nine or ten minutes in the third quarter as well, um, and seemed to be pretty pretty gassed and pretty you know needed a blow at the end of the third quarter as well. So um, so yeah, I mean, kind of interesting to watch out for. Obviously, you know, these are the games we we saw in in Sacramento you know it was it was an ideal game since that he was able to play at a very high level and then really get a, a lot of time off he only played 26 27 minutes and you know fortunately 34 minutes on Saturday so despite the game tightening up significantly in the fourth quarter um, they were able to give Giannis a pretty good rest I think he they were up 11 when he came back midway through the fourth quarter so it's not like they you know, let the Kings get back into it with Giannis on the bench. You know, the Kings really kept their run going even after Giannis came back. But I, I mean, I um, think the goal was hopefully that they could just put it away in those first five yeah. minutes of the fourth quarter. That because I think that was what Middleton and Brogdon in there together. I, I think the hope was okay, maybe these guys can close it out and we don't need to bring Giannis and Bledsoe back in. But they ended up needing to. But I would assume that's probably the goal. Yeah. So either way, um, you know, they were at a minimum able to get Giannis long enough breaks in the second and and fourth quarters that you know the total minute number was was manageable uh and again you would have much rather had this game be put away before the final seconds of the fourth quarter but um you know again this team is is still trying to figure out how to give you know that 48 minute effort every night how to get to the point where you know they just look at bad teams and they just put them away and do basically what they did on tuesday every night and you know again they weren't able to do that uh, on saturday but obviously Still getting a win, um, you know, and you look forward and and hope that okay, you can you can take that and and obviously move forward and um, you know obviously first quarter you run out to what was it a fourteen nothing lead um, the Bucks got out and the Kings looked terrible and the Bucks yeah. you know pretty much just you know wreaked havoc on, on them with especially the turnovers uh, around the perimeter from uh, from uh, Sacramento so uh, good start and I think they were up by as many as twenty I think I want to say it was eighty to sixty at one point in the third quarter yeah, as well. So again, they you know we saw them kind of turn the screws in the third quarter again, and um, you know I tweeted it out earlier today, but um, it, you know this was a game where the starters once again you know rang up big numbers in terms of their differential in the first and third quarters, and you know they're still third in the entire NBA in terms of five man units that have played 100 plus minutes in terms of total net rating. I mean the the starters right now are are outscoring opponents by 22 points per 100 possessions right now, which is obviously. <laughs> 
terrific. I mean, that's that's better than the Warriors starting lineup, right? There are only two lineups that have done better so far this season. And um, the starters plus Brogdon are, are in the sixth spot. They're plus 14. So uh, seeing the starters, you know, score 118 points per 100 and allow 96 point, you know, points per 100. I mean, offense, defense, that's hyper elite, right? I mean, you're talking only the war only the rocket starters and the wizard starters have been better so far this year and you know basically just barely so um you know we saw it again tonight you know basically the 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 bench units sort of the non-starting units were were not as strong although you know i think it was the exact starting unit that was in there at the end that did kind of you know, let the the Kings finally narrow it to yeah. to the one point. So it's not like the starters um, instantly turn turn the game around. But uh, but again, I think that's uh, certainly a, a major positive right now. That you know, since Bledsoe has arrived, uh, well, even before Bledsoe arrived, right? The Brogdon starting lineup was very good. Yep. And now since Bledsoe's come, they've taken it to an even another level, which isn't surprising given how Bledsoe's been playing. And you know, defensively, I think I was thinking I was looking. I think like in the ten games uh, or eleven games since Bledsoe has been on the team. I think they're like fifth, fourth or fifth in defensive rating or something yep. like that overall. Um, they haven't been as good offensively overall, despite the starters being very good. So, um, you know, again, how much of that is, you know, blood. So how much of that is, you know, schedule, um, you know, it's kind of hard to, to read a ton into that at this point. Again, you need more sample to, to really figure out how yeah. real this is. Um, but you know, again, I mean, this was a team that what they were 29th in defense, I think right around the Bledsoe trade. I mean, they had started off very poorly yep. and uh, obviously they've been much better since then. And um, I, I don't know if you want to maybe get people a little up to speed on, on, on what has changed slash what, <laughs> what Jason Kidd maintains has not changed. Because <laughs> um, Certainly we've talked a fair bit about the Bucks making some, at least, at least tweaks to, uh, to some of the things they're doing um over the last week but um i i guess jason kidd doesn't want to doesn't want to admit to it even if he did yeah it's kind of strange the the company line right now uh from the bucks is that nothing has changed defensively that uh in the last three games it has been more energy and more hashtag hashtag Uh, energy and effort and i mean it's fun it's kind of strange too because that was uh, before the game, I asked Jason Kidd a little bit about the the scheme changed around a little bit and doing some things differently. And I thought, I mean, I thought it was very telling because we got to see them play the Blazers once with a very aggressive scheme, doing everything that they could to get the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands. And certainly that's what they tried to do uh, the second time around, but you didn't see it. <laughs> I don't know if the second time around this past week you saw trying to think of the hardest trap that I saw. And certainly there wasn't one when John Henson was on the floor. Um, maybe when Thon was trying to figure out what was going on, uh, they did it. And I just thought it, those, just thinking about those two games, everything was so different that it, it posed a, an interesting question. And it was just strange to hear Jason mention before the game that he didn't really think that, let me, I can try to find the exact quote here, but he says, there's been a lot of chatter for whatever reason that we've changed our defense, but we haven't. Just the energy and effort that the guys have put into it has gone up, which is good. It helps when they try. With, Por- <laughs> with Portland, same game plan as we had here when we played Portland. We tried to not let Lillard play. We were trying to make him a passer. The blitzes were effective. We got deflections and steals, and then we rebound the ball. But again, when we share the ball offensively, it gives everyone energy to participate on the defensive end. And it, it was strange to, one, hear him say that 
when I think it's clear to, I don't even think you need to have a, a very trained eye. Just thinking about watching Bucks games in the last, the last two or three years, you watched a Bucks game and you were going to see the Bucks give up five wide open corner threes, six more. I, I it, depending on the game, but you were at least going to see a couple. And those have largely disappeared. I know there was one against the Kings in the fourth quarter, and that was, I believe, more due to someone going for a steal than anything else. Um, And it was created kind of by trying to front Zach Randolph and doing some overly aggressive stuff with him. But in the last three games, like you just really haven't seen it. And again, you talked about how the schedule can impact these things. They've played the Kings twice, and they've played the Blazers once. And those are two teams that are very low in the league uh, in attempting three-pointers and trying to find corner threes. Like, those are things that those two teams don't really do a lot of. So, um, I certainly, I, I might be willing to agree that those are the type of teams that wouldn't take advantage of the the scheme that the Bucks have, but they would some <laughs> because th- that scheme was just so aggressive. There was so much help. And and I think when you're when you're watching this Bucks team now, you don't see the the very, I don't know, the overly aggressive help defense, which is which was a trademark for the Bucs, that bringing, just really overloading the strong side. Uh, you don't see that as much. Instead, you see guys in passing lanes, and uh, in the last couple games, you've seen that turn into steals. And uh, the Bucks are getting steals in different ways, and especially, I think, you're not seeing those corner threes. Like, you, you're just not seeing those possessions where everyone was trying to move on a string, but the string was really stretched out to one side of the floor and then just didn't have a chance to reach the other side of the floor and you're just not seeing those possessions so uh Jason saying that it just seemed false to me and then I was I was kind of interested to hear I know some people commented during the broadcast that uh Jim Paschke and John McLaughlin talked about the same thing that it was really not that much of a change defensively just energy and effort and then I was kind of surprised when I asked Giannis about it. Giannis said the same thing. I asked kind of what do you attribute your ability to keep teams from getting those corner threes that they've gotten so often in the last couple of years. And he just said, you know, we're just trying harder. Like We're we're just getting out there and uh, giving it better effort and we're able to take that away from teams. And, again, it kind of felt like the Zoolander scene where he's just like, am I taking crazy pills? Like, that's... That's what it felt like when I keep hearing this, but because, I mean, it seems obvious to me that they are changing those things. And I know uh, I was listening to the Dunkdown podcast, and Danny LaRue had mentioned that uh, over the weekend as well. And I don't know, like it, it's very obvious that they've changed some things defensively. But again, maybe that's not something they want to admit, or maybe it's not something they're going to admit. But that's kind of been what's happening, and. Uh, you mentioned before the defensive rating since Bledsoe got here. It's 101.2, which is fifth best in the league since he joined the team. Uh, so they're doing some good things defensively. And, again, I, I struggle to figure out why you why they won't admit that. But I, I think it's certainly true. Yeah, and there's, you know, and there's things that obviously, I mean, to say that, like, nothing's changed in three years, things like that, I mean, there's been some evolution. Like, I sure. mean, think about a year ago. Think about how many times they would just automatically bring the low man from the weak side when there was a post pass. And even when they weren't fronting, um, if there was a post entry pass, the guy got the ball in the post, like how often a guy would come to double yeah. in the post. And 
I mean, you compare that to like last night where Zach Randolph, I mean, he went to town on Thon Maker and to a lesser extent John Henson, in part because the Bucks really didn't help, right? Sure. And that's that's something that is, you know, again, I mean, I know there was this like rush to you know, after that, say like, well, you know, the Bucks need a post defender and or they need Zach Randolph, maybe. Which damn uh, it, I, you just I'm not I'm, I'm not interested in um, you stole but, my next question on this podcast. That was what okay. I was going to ask. Like, are you infuriated when people bring up that all oh, the Bucks need a big guy that can do this? Because I am. <laughs> well, let, let's put, let's let's wait a minute for that. So <laughs> I think to kind of tie out the sort of scheme hashtag scheme stuff, um, I mean, th- there's been some things that have changed. I mean, it's not like the Bucks were hard doubling every uh, post, you know, post touch a week ago, and then they changed it Correct. like overnight. I mean, that that I think has has changed. I think even last year, over the course of last year, it changed, which is a positive because again, it's like, you know, what is something that we've known for years now is that you probably should just let post touches work themselves out and instead of doubling and you know putting your defense on skates and and making yourself vulnerable to to ball movement and and open threes just see if somebody can make a contested two-point shot right and and those usually come from areas where um you know even a good post player you know maybe he's hitting i don't know low 40 percents in terms of his post touches and you know, again, just do the math, right? Like if you're less than a point per possession average on those, um, those are, are just not going to be, you know, really high, high value types of possessions. So, so that's been something we've seen anywhere. And I think we've seen, um, you know, some more switching before last week. Yep. Um, but it's, it seemed like probably the most obvious thing is it seems like, and, and I think he's been caught. He, he has not figured it out yet, which is probably, it's good that it's, they've played some of the teams they have, but Thon in particular, seems to be playing less aggressively it seems like he's dropping more in pick and roll and um you know again probably the most interesting things to look at when you talk about like a pick and roll is you know how do teams defend a 1-4 and a 1-5 pick and roll and with Giannis it seems like Giannis is switching more just straight up onto a point guard which like last year I think for you know last couple of years I, I think of Giannis doing more hedging and recovering where he comes out shows um sometimes traps and then tries to recover to the ball um and now it seems like more often we're seeing him just switch and just take the guy, take the ball handler, you know, and yep. even if it's a point card sometimes, which which makes sense. And Giannis isn't great laterally. That's probably his biggest weakness defensively. Um, but, you know, obviously with his length and and just I think in general his reputation as well. I mean, most people don't want to just try to attack Giannis necessarily. And obviously he can close out with that length pretty well. So it seems like we're seeing maybe a little bit difference um, there. And, you know, Henson has dropped a lot. I mean, like, it's not like John Henson trapped every play before a week ago. Like, that's not the case. Correct. Like, Henson was one guy who seemed to drop. And again, this is very anecdotal because we don't have, like, a stat, you know, that I can just pull up for this. But it always felt like Henson dropped back on pick and rolls a lot more than pretty much, you know, maybe Monroe did it a fair bit. Although Monroe also blitzed a fair bit and used his hands because he, you know, it was, it was almost like one of those things, like, you know, like I always said, like, Monroe dropping back almost as useless as useless as he is if he blitzes. If he blitzes, like he's going to be stuck if he can't get the ball, but at least he can use his hands maybe to try to disrupt something. Um, but it seemed like Henson always sort of dropped a fair bit, and, and it feels like now maybe early in the season he was more aggressive, like I think especially um, for parts of that Utah game. But but now um, it seems like he's in more traditional kind of dropping. And he even, in the first quarter, I mean, he even switched on De'Aaron Fox at one point, which I don't know if that was intentional or not, but um, I think Fox then airballed a shot <laughs> over him. So um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, it seems like they're, again, like, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, oh, the Bucks just like, 
completely changed everything about their defense overnight. I, I don't think that's the case. I think there are things that have been evolving over time um, a little bit. Uh, and, you know, some of that was related to switching and things like that. But it does seem like there is a more concerted effort to be a little less aggressive immediately on the ball. But with the kind of tools that these guys have on this roster, that doesn't necessarily prevent you from being aggressive in other ways or, you know, as part of the secondary action, things like that, or playing pass lanes, being aggressive on your man, trying to deny and things like that. And um, that's obviously been one area that has been, um, you know, a huge positive since since Bloodstone showed up. I mean, they lead the league in, in turnovers forced um, in terms of turnover rate uh, since Bloodstone arrived. They're third overall in the season and, um, you know, in the league. So that's been obviously a major strength. And, you know, obviously this was always the discussion, right, with the way they played is like, well, if you play, you know, if you attack the ball really hard with multiple guys, can you force, you know, long passes, those over the top passes that people can, you know, the, the air under them and, and get interceptions, deflect passes, things like that and get steals. And obviously the best case scenario is you play more conservatively in terms of, you know, not sending, you know, extra guys to the ball, not sending guys that have to abandon the weak side entirely, but you're still able to get into to passing lanes. You're still able to use those tools and, and force turnovers. And so, you know, at least in this very, very small sample, and, and generally since Bledsoe's been here, um, you know, they've been able to certainly force a lot more turnovers. And um, we've talked about, you know, there have been fewer turnovers in the league the last year or two yep. um, as teams probably, because teams are shooting more threes or they're not dribbling as much toward the basket into traffic. But um, obviously if you can force turnovers, you know, regardless of how you do it, um, that in in and of itself is a positive, and um, certainly it also has the additional benefit of of helping you get out on the break. And you know, certainly Bledsoe is is you know uses his disruptive abilities and his strength and anticipation very well, and he's we've seen it you know very obviously um, for the Bucks so far. So um, so yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Do we have anything else? Sort of we want to talk about defensively? I think I think we're going to see we're probably going to get a lot better sense of what oh, the Bucks yes. are doing. Um, and whether it's working and, and everything uh, this week, because basically they're playing a lot of the teams that have caused them problems. The Celtics, obviously, not great offensively this year, actually. I mean, they're, I think they're about average, maybe even a little below average in terms of offensive rating. Um, so that also makes me kind of like roll my eyes at the whole Kyrie MVP talk because they're, they're not really that good offensively. It's just <laughs> defensively. Um, and then we're going to see, obviously, the Pistons, who we've seen have a huge three-point shooting night and who have yeah. played, obviously, well in the East this year. And then we're going to see uh, the Mavericks and Jazz as well. And, and Rudy Gobert may actually be back for the Jazz, which um, certainly may up the difficulty level for the Bucks. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, some teams that have caused the Bucks problems, which I think will be interesting, especially as we try to figure out, like, have the Bucks actually figured some things out defensively? I guess the thing that always just kind of gets to me uh, about those <laughs> answers in this discussion is, like, yeah, obviously. Uh, you do a number of those things throughout the year. You do run different coverages at different times. So I'm not trying to say that everything has been scrapped and you've right. totally started from something new. Like I'm just interested why those, and if you want to say more minor details or if I want to say they're more major de- details, like I, I'm just curious why those details have changed. Like it, I, I think that is the interesting part. Like has there been something that you have was there awakening to something that you weren't aware of before was there something with the personnel <laughs> that has changed that you think works better like there there's clearly reasons to make those changes i i'm just genuine genuinely curious what they are um so i don't know that's just something i always get frustrated with when you ask about schematic changes is it's just like well we've done stuff like this before i i'm aware 
I know. Yeah. Like, I know you've done stuff like this before. I'm just curious why you're doing it more often. Um, so that that is always, uh, I guess, something that will just always be a difficulty of, of journalism is trying to extract that information from coaches, whether it's Jason Kidd or Mike McCarthy or uh, Craig Council, whoever it may be. Like, no matter what sport you're in, like, it's always going to be difficult to try to extract some of that information. And, and I understand that, but um, I'd be lying if I said it cannot be – it, it's frustrating at times. There, there's no doubt about it. Um, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, and look like we, sh- you know, I'm not expecting that Jason Kidd or any coach is going to just explain his new defense exactly to reporters. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean like there, there's obviously a, a line, like you don't want to just like, you know, give away what you're doing in Correct. to the public and say, like, yeah, well secrets. we're doing, we're, like, we're doing this and this and this. And then, you know, Oh, you know, it's like, as much as as fans, we want to know, like, well, what do you, what do you, what's your philosophy here? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? Like, have you thought about this? Um, there obviously are reasons to not be as forthcoming, but by the same token, you get the feeling with Jason Kidd that part of this, the subtext is I don't want to admit to all the people who are telling me that I have to change things that I went and changed some things. (laughs) Although, um, and, and that's obviously the frustrating part because it's like, you know, you can get credit for, making adjustments like you know like it's not like i mean i don't know like you're it's not like you uh you're gonna look good if you deny that you tweaked anything and you're just doing the exact same stuff and oh now it's working better like for the players i i I certainly with the players i i'm I'm not surprised at all that they would just say like oh just you know trying hard working harder blah 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 because you know again like i mean they don't want to sit there and give away x's and o's probably either but um but yeah anyway the usual just sort of weirdness and whatever is happening hopefully it is sort of what we think it is because i think at least in theory it makes more sense and um obviously you know the results have been better of late in general and and certainly you know the the bucks have to be much better defensively if this team's ever going to really live up to its potential so yeah so we will uh, see um let's go to the other thing i was curious about is Zach Randolph scores 22 points. He's 10 of 15 from the field. The Bucks have no answer for him. They're, no one on the roster. And after the game, Chris Middleton said something. I think the exact quote was, that guy's going to get buckets until he's 60 years old because he gets no lift, and still he's able to finish on Giannis a couple times, on John a couple times, on Thon a couple times. Like he, he can just He can just get buckets, and... I think so often in games like that or games where the Bucks give up offensive rebounds to someone, like I'm sure this week when they play uh, Andre Drummond, the the exact same question is going to come up. The Bucks need a big guy. They don't have anyone that can stop this player. And I keep thinking to myself, I don't give a shit. Like, <laughs> that guy's going to kill you with twos? Okay. Like, that's great. Like, if Zach Randolph... If the goal of who give like your biggest weakness defensively is they're really susceptible to big guys posting them up, awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good because Zach Randolph isn't going to shoot ten of fifteen every single night. Like that, that's just not something that post players do. And I, I don't know. It's always just so funny to kind of to see these games and then just think about the way that we discuss basketball. And again, there's a number of different ways to look at basketball. There's a number of different ways to watch basketball. So 
our, our listeners may think we're crazy in, in saying this, that we don't really necessarily care all that much about being exploited by, by big guys, that, that that's not a thing that really bothers us as basketball observers. So I, I can understand that maybe some people disagree, but it's always strange to think about the way that we talk about basketball, the way that we opine for more center Giannis, the way that we talk about going small and being able to use the length and the athleticism and all these things. And then when the Bucks struggle in a game, I just see a deluge of comments about they need a big guy. I, what am I missing here? I, I just I just feel generally confused because I, I understand frustration and being frustrated that they can't stop Zach Randolph. But again, I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the... Uh... I think the most valid argument for having like, you know, like a, a more traditional option at, at center is, you know, like the the longer term view of, uh, you know, can you can you play like a team like the Sixers, right? Like with Joel Embiid, you know, if you're if that's the team that you're going to have to play over the next five years or something like that, like, you know, can you defend Embiid with um, with guys like the Bucks have currently? But that's really like a longer term thing to me. You know, it's not like. I need to go sign. Like, I'm not sure I'm going to, I'm, I'm looking to go sign a guy right now this season um, because of Joel Embiid, right? Joel um, Presbilla will still be available. Whenever, <laughs> whenever I need a big man stopper, he's going to be ready to go. So I'm not really that concerned. Um, so, I mean, I think there, I mean, it is kind of a question, like it's sort of this irony, right? Because I mean, I remember, you know, and I don't, I never watched like that many Clippers games, but obviously DeAndre Jordan, you know, was Zach Lowe mentioned him, um, first, like a week ago about the Bucks potentially being interested there and what it, what it would take. And, you know, we kind of reacted pretty negatively towards the idea of giving up, you know, real value for a guy that's an expiring contract basically. And I mean, who knows, right? I mean, I mean, DeAndre Jordan doesn't even have an agent right now. So yeah. it's like, if you, if you went and traded for DeAndre, let's just say like based on DeAndre's history, like even if DeAndre Jordan told you that like he was interested in re-signing, like, or if he told like you that he was thinking about signing with your team, like he might get locked in his own house and not do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, let's see what, how he feels after. Uh, you know, he's he's never lived in a cold climate. Let's see how he feels after uh, after a, a winter in, in Milwaukee. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's sort of one of these things. Like, you know, again, the, the Zach Randolph going to town on single teams in the post. Um, again, like I, I can live with that, right? Yes, like, I mean, that's every night. that's. That is not like the kind of stuff that's going to keep me up at night because we talked we talked so much about the Bucks giving up you know a huge percentage of shots at the rim and from three point range and that was you know the Mori ballization of the Bucks was obviously a huge problem. Well, you can't force just all mid range jump shots, right? <laughs> like I mean, it'd be nice if you could, um, but one of the ways you know one of the one of the sort of transfers you can do like if you think about like well how do you funnel threes and and shots at the rim into something else, right? Well. Don't double the post and let the Zach Randolphs of the that. world try their luck, right? Because yep. we know that Zach Randolph does not shoot sixty percent on post touches, you know, every night uh, or sixty-seven percent like he did tonight. Um, so yeah, so I mean, I think these are just sort of things like you just have to kind of make some 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 trade-offs there. Now, I, I think there are valid questions like with both Thon and John Henson, obviously. Like when you talk sure. about them specifically, because Henson, you know, like. If you're going to give up, um, you know, something uh, in terms of like, well, he's not a good post defender against really strong guys. Well, you know, can he still defensive rebound at a high level? 
Henson's been okay this year. Thon, obviously, that's a major question mark. Um, and then offensively, like, well, does he give you something, right? I mean, Henson, you know, again, he's not really an offensive threat per se, but he has at least some skill. You know, he's not just a guy who can only dunk. He's not, you know, he has at least some touch around the rim. And his passing, I think, has gotten better. You know, his his facilitation has gotten better. But again, he's not like he's got some dynamic skill that you're, you know, desperate to keep in the game because, you know, wow, we can live with this because we're getting that. Um, that that's probably not the case with Henson. But by the same token, it's working fine, you know, and you're getting value from him. And, and who knows, right? Like maybe you're getting him to the point where if you did make a trade, if you did make a trade for a big guy, like I would certainly want Henson to be part of the trade. Um, and I would want it to be a deal where, you know, you're not giving up a lot of incremental value, right? Because yeah. hopefully Henson is viewed by somebody as maybe being, you know, a, a solid player who's still in his prime and, and not, you know, paid a ton. But again, not that I'm expecting John Henson to be an asset. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm, and, and again, I, I'm kind of, I kind of go back and forth on this. Like the Bucks are in a weird spot, right? Because they have two centers and there's obviously thought defensively I think for as much potential he has to be able to switch and move and do things that would you know overcome his limitations like uh, from a strength standpoint defensive rebounding you know what you hope he can do as a floor stretcher eventually right now it's not there right I mean he's he been totally lost he's been very bad defensively or, or I mean at, at best very inconsistent let's say yeah. and you know his his activity can kind of you know at times help you just I don't want to say by accident but you know just sort of um because he's just all over the place you know sometimes that does obviously help you and that his tools can can kind of help him do some stuff from you know at times but um but yeah it it, there are definitely questions about the Bucks big man situation but you know again like what's sort of the end game here too right and and a lot of the, the elite teams of today really don't like big guys are basically unplayable against them. If right? there's like, a position I want to be weak at, again, I don't want to be weak yeah. at any position. But if I have to choose one, it's center. And I don't yeah. even think it's close. And, and and that was the and I think I was about to say it earlier, but you know, Bill Simmons used to talk about how he thought the Clippers should go away from having DeAndre Jordan in games late and they should play smaller and and DeAndre doesn't work late in games the Clippers. And it's kind of like Holy shit. Like that's like, and again, I'm not saying that that's, I mean, who knows, right? Like that may, that may just be a bad hypothesis or whatever, but there's obviously some arguments for it given his free throw shooting and, you know, the, the way that teams go small. Um, you know, DeAndre Jordan isn't like really the guy who helps you beat, you know, the Warriors if in that scenario, or, or I don't even know, I don't know if he helps you beat the Cavs necessarily. Um, so it, it's kind of a weird thing. So, you know, there's different teams obviously out there that are going to be posing different threats over the next few years. Um, and, and again, I'm not sure that, you know, this, the big burly center that you're going to go pay $20 million a year for, I, as you said, I'm, I'm just not sure that guy is solving a problem that you need to solve or yeah. that, you know, you should be prioritizing, let's say, because, um, you know, there's very finite resources in terms of cap dollars and uh, obviously, the bucks are, are crunched in terms of their cap and they have to be very careful in terms of who they're paying. And, you know, if you're going to pay a center $20 million, even if you can get rid of John Henson, um, that means you're maybe not keeping Chris Middleton or maybe you're not keeping Jabari Parker or you're giving up assets to get rid of Mirza Toledovich or Delvadova or something like that. Right. Yeah. So, um, again, you know, i we mentioned at the top, I don't know how sustainable it is, but the Bucks' offense has been terrific with Henson. Defensively, it's been pretty good. And, you know, again, I, I think it can be fine. Um, 
but uh, it's that question. What do they do? I think I'd much rather see them go for kind of a breaking case of emergency veteran type center um, rather than a guy that, you know, is going to have to play 25 minutes every night and, you know, who makes Thon just an afterthought, right? Like yeah. I still kind of want to see what Thon has, even though he's been rough around the edges to say the least. So anyway, I've been rambling a while, but anything else on that one? No, I don't think so. Like, like I said, it just generally confuses me because uh, I, I just don't see that being – uh, a thing that I really concern myself with. You, wait, are you saying Jaleel Okafor is not the guy that you think is going to solve? I don't know what Jaleel Okafor solves. Like, but no. he seems to he seems to come up a lot. Yeah, uh, Jaleel Okafor, um, and and I think did Nerlens Noel come up over the weekend as well? Um, yeah, and, and again, like he's probably the most modern of all of the centers that we've heard about. Um, but I think our friend Steve Van Horn summed it up best like why are we why are we the bucks fan collective continually trying to put together more traditional lineups and i think it's a great question like why i'd i'm not all that interested in it like and again i understand noel could be had for probably very little at this point and maybe that's a guy you want to take a chance on but again this is this is a more talented John Henson in that he can't find his way into rotations. Like coaches have just benched him and there might be attitude problems. There might be, who knows? Um, so I don't, I don't know. As, I, as long as, as long as the bucks meet, well, you, you eat at the media in the meter. Do the bucks, oh, there's, hot the bucks dogs. Meet your, there's hot okay. dogs until halftime, man. So okay. he's, he'd be all good. Um, all right, let's move on to this next game. Wait, can I, can I just say that one thing about Noel? Cause, cause I, I retweeted, um, our uh, friend Joe Osterndorf tweeted out asking, you know, if people are so obsessed with Okafor and some of these other guys, like how come Noel never gets mentioned? And I, I think that's a valid point. Obviously the question is, you know, what, as you mentioned, Steve brought up like, well, like you, you shouldn't really be worried about it in the first place. Um, uh, but I would say, I mean, like I find Noel more interesting than, than Way Okafor. And, yes. um, and I think the bigger problem is, um, Noel and it's similar problem with Okafor like if either of those guys like actually came here and then like played a bunch and actually played well um they're probably not going to be guys you can bring back just because you don't have bird rights on them um cuz they're they're both well uh oh, uh Noel's on a qualifying offer and uh, o- uh Okafor would be limited to basically the the team option that was declined by the Sixers if you resign him so um and again I have no illusion that Julio Okafor is going to get that much money. I think it was like six point something million. But um, Noel is probably more more of an obvious issue because if he comes and he like you know actually plays well and you want to keep him, then you know, well, what are you doing? Are you not resigning Jabari? Or you know, what are you doing to then bring him back? I mean, in many ways, you're probably better off just letting Noel rot in Dallas for the rest of the year and just tank his value. Yeah, get and a then, flyer next year and then see, the off season. Yeah, and then see kind of where you are, and you know, especially if you make another move around your center position, and maybe you have some. If you do open up any flexibility, you know, maybe you give him, um, you know, a smaller deal under the mid level. Which again, the Bucks, the Bucks will have the middle level exception. The question is, you know, are they in the luxury tax, which would lower it? Are they, um, are they able to do something to to free it up? And, and again, I'm not expecting them to really have a whole lot of flexibility until, un- unless and until the Jabari situation is is resolved let's say so um anyway yeah enough about Nerlens noel i'm don't worry i don't foresee him being a buck but um i certainly i think the bottom line is we we are not in favor of the bucks going off and shipping out a bunch of assets for a center that um you know again probably 
isn't making the starting lineup any better given yeah. how well they played. And no, it, and I, I tweeted it out the other day. Like it's just kind of crystallized for me. Like I'm not interested in improving the center for any assets at this point. Like if uh, and again, like I don't view Mirza Toledovic as an asset. I, I don't view Matthew Delvadova as an asset. Like those are just Rashad Vaughn. Those are just guys that can go. So yeah, if you can. You can trade for DeAndre Jordan for a package of those three. Sure, sign me up. I'm down. Um, but assets for to improve the center position, I'm I'm just not really interested in. Moving on to today's game, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks will be in Boston tonight. Uh, the good news: the Bucks have given the Celtics one of their four losses. Uh, the bad news: the Celtics have 20 wins on the season. Um, they're very good. They are the top team in the Eastern Conference. Uh, They have a defensive rating that is first in the league, uh, depending on what source you go by. Uh, They're first no matter what, just the points per possession because they're calculated different. But either way, uh, they shut teams down. Offensively, uh, 11th on basketball reference, I think 14th on NBA.com. So they are very good defensively and good offensively, and that is going to win you a whole bunch of games. Uh, their expected win-loss is a little bit less than 20-4. and four. It's a 17-7, and seven. Uh, but then that just speaks to having Kyrie Irving, and having Kyrie Irving shoot an incredible position. Pos- he's insane. <laughs> His percentage in the clutch this year has been crazy. Um, so essentially they keep it close, and then, all right, Kyrie, finish him off, and he pretty much does. Uh, so... Uh, what are you, what are you most interested in in this game? Um, I, obviously, you saw the Bucks win the first one against the Celtics. You saw them lose the second one in the Mackey game. Uh, this third one, I think you're always looking at a good test when it's Brad Stevens, and uh, they're going to be tough. And I'm just trying to figure out exactly what I am most focused on in this game. Where, what are you looking at? Well, we sh- I should note that, um, and I don't know if this is the. Uh, the Delhi effect, but um, this season in 39 minutes of clutch play, can you guess which team leads the NBA in net rating in clutch situations? God, I'll give you one guess. You just talked about the Boston Celtics, but there's another team actually that leads the NBA in clutch performances. Can you guess who that is? Hint, they were not good at all last year. The Cleveland Cavaliers? The Milwaukee Bucks. Whoa! Our number, number one, and I thought I teed that up. Come on, how did you not? I tried to tee that up for you. Come on. Um, no, but the Bucks incredibly are are number one in the NBA. They're plus thirty seven point four net rating in in, in clutch situations. Um, How many minutes in the clutch do they have? Thirty nine. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's obviously a lot of noise there, um, and and maybe maybe a lot of this. I'm trying to think like, is this just a the Bucks blowing leads against bad teams and then closing, <laughs> closing <them laughs> kind of like the Kings the other night, you know, teams that they shouldn't uh. have been close to in the first place. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing I'm, I'm looking for is, is, you know, the kind of rematch between presumably Al Horford, once again, defending Giannis. Um, you know, I thought Al did a great job just sort of denying Giannis the ball, making life pretty difficult for him, uh, in that Mecca game after, um, we saw, you know, it seemed like Jalen Brown and, and Jason Tatum get many, you know, more of the looks. Uh, in the first game uh, between these two teams in Boston that the Bucks won and Giannis, you know, went went off for like crazy. Uh, so I'm I'm certainly curious to see just 
how they defend Giannis and um, what the Bucks do. You know, are the Bucks able to get? I mean, that's the irony, right? I mean, Giannis still got well, like twenty nine points or something like that, or twenty seven points in in that game um, against the the Celtics in the Mecca. But everything was just harder for him. He hit, I think, a number of kind of tougher turnaround jump shots, and obviously shots that that aren't going to be there every night for him aren't going to go down every night. So, you know, again, just sort of seeing you know, the Bucks, especially at starting five, they've obviously been extremely efficient as we've been talking about and um you know this is a great test against a team that has defended at a very high level and um you know as you mentioned i think last week uh, i mentioned it the the article that from ben falk that went deep dive on the celtics and you know things to watch out for tomorrow again i'll just kind of the quick summary um you know they they always try to ice uh pick and roll so send it to basically the sideline or uh if it's the middle of court they're always going to try to send guys to their weak side so they'll position their defenders look for you know eric bledsoe if he's doing a high pick and roll they're going to try to send him either the sideline um or to his left hand so um they do stuff like that they do these sort of delayed switches where um it'll look like they might try to recover but then the smaller guy will just switch onto a big guy in a pick and roll um and and they do try to shrink the floor a little bit you'll see guys kind of hedge up and then if a guy picks up the ball um recover back to their man so those are kind of just some of the things they do they've been great on the defensive glass um which isn't necessarily intuitive given some of the personnel that they have but they've been very good this year and obviously they've gotten good performances um you know not just Kyrie. i mean my i to be honest i find the whole like idea of Kyrie being an mvp candidate like super annoying just because his numbers are basically the same as a year ago and it feels like people are implicitly crediting him with the Celtics becoming like an incredible defense, which obviously he has far less impact on than, you know, say Al Horford. Like I I joked about it, you know, if, if Kyrie's an MVP candidate, then Al Horford must be in the MVP front runner. And, you know, Brad Stevens is the, you know, future galactic emperor or something, because um, I, I think certainly Brad Stevens gets a ton of credit and it's not to say that Kyrie has, has not been very good, but, um, you know, again, He's the same guy, right? And I think he's probably going to, you know, he he didn't shoot the ball really that well, especially from three early in the season. It's coming around now. Um, He's liable to probably have a few more huge games that will bump some of those numbers up. But but again, I I thought Kyrie, you know, I think a lot of us thought like, oh, he's going to like do what Isaiah did last year. Or he's going to be more of that guy where he's going to really be looking to score. And he hasn't been. I mean, he doesn't get tons of assists either, but um, he's not been, you know, what is he at? Like, is he at like 22, 23 points a game or something like that? 23 points per game, five assists per game. Yeah, so basically very similar numbers to a year ago in Cleveland. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he gets into kind of more of a scoring role as the season goes on. But um, I think it, I, the one thing I always like felt last year was I think people understated sort of how incredible Isaiah was as a scorer. I mean, <laughs> scoring you know 29 a game or whatever it was on ridiculous efficiency i mean he was insane last year and to think and and i totally get like isaiah moving forward you'll take Kyrie over isaiah moving forward but to think that you know Kyrie's just gonna step in and just score 30 points a game on ridiculous efficiency just because he's you know in this offense i mean that's a really high bar and and obviously they haven't necessarily needed it so far but as we said i mean their offense is not great to thus far i mean they yeah. haven't been a team that has you know really killed it offensively so far so um i think it'll be interesting to see just you know the celtics their, their defensive rating has been coming back down to earth in large part because they were holding teams just like an incredibly like you know unrealistically low percentage from three which we often talk about being uh, you know a thing that's pretty random and i think i just checked i think the bucks and celtics allow the exact same number of three pointers by the opponent per game i think it's like 26.1 which in raw terms i think I think that's like fifth or sixth best in the league, which isn't 
kind of insane to say that the Bucks are, you know, not allowing more more threes. Yeah. Um, but the Celtics have been great at uh, at limiting that to date. And you know, again, how much of that is luck? Um, it's probably some of it. But uh, I think you know, in that Ben Falk article, there was also a fair bit of data saying. You know, they, they've been great, even if you take out some of those things, uh, some of that, maybe some of that luck. So, again, can the Bucks maybe get the three point shot going? We haven't seen that as much since Bledsoe came around. But certainly if they can get those three guys, the the quote unquote big three or we need to think of a better name for them. Right. Um, you know, at least you give yourself a fighting chance because um, certainly offensively, you hope that, you know, the Celtics don't go nuts and that they're that they are more of that average team that they've been so far. I'm just thinking about some of the stuff from the Mecca game and. Uh, I, I'm thinking of, like you already mentioned, Horford on Giannis. Thought he did a great job on him. Um, I, I think for the most part, he forced him left. Like you said, like you're going to try to force weak hand. Um, and just Giannis kind of being frustrated throughout that game. Um, so that comes to mind. I'm curious. I think the, the maybe the most insane Kyrie move I've seen in person was the one where he kind of got trapped around the free throw line with Brogdon and Middleton and then somehow spun through them and finished off a layup. And it was just like, come on, that that's impossible. That's not something you can do. So the Bucks have Eric Bledsoe now. They don't have Malcolm Brogdon. And not that Brogdon didn't work his butt off. He certainly did. And he was pressuring Kyrie out to the up to the mid court and he was all over the place. He was really working hard, but Kyrie is an impossibly difficult cover. Um, so I'm curious to just kind of see what Bledsoe can do with him. Uh, are they able to drop Henson a little bit more and can Bledsoe get through, through some of those screens and stick with him a little bit better? And maybe the Bucks don't need to help as much. Um, I'm just kind of curious to see what that will do. Um, just because it, Kyrie is is very difficult to cover there it doesn't really matter who you have so um, I'm just curious if Bledsoe can kind of help make an impact uh, somewhat in that regard and then I think the big thing is like I said since they've made the switch they've played the Kings and the Blazers and those two teams are low in three-point attempt rate and uh, not particularly high in corner threes per game in fact they're very low in those two things uh so now they're facing a team in the celtics that's seventh and three-point attempt rate a team that obviously like quinn snyder and the jazz will hunt out those type of opportunities so if you're looking for a good test for the defensive scheme and uh, the alterations to the defensive scheme, let's say, um, if you're looking for a test for those things, I think this Boston game is the start of it. Uh, how do they deal with that? How how do they handle it? And do they get frustrated after a quarter and decide, you know what, we're going back to Kyrie is just getting too much. He's getting too easy of looks. Um, let's go back to the high hedge and trap and, Let's really try to get the ball out of his hands and go back to everything that they normally did. Um, we haven't seen that in these these three games since they've made that change, but maybe maybe Kyrie is just that difficult that they get frustrated and decide to do it. So I'll, I'll be watching that as well. And I'll be, I guess it's kind of disappointing that I'm not in the, normally I'm sitting like behind the, away bench so i can hear trash talk uh in the mecca i wasn't so i didn't get to hear marcus smart tell us who was calling him trash but i'm curious if sterling brown <laughs> or dj wilson is ready to go to call him trash again um i'm curious if we'll get to hear any of that because <laughs> that's awesome uh so 
<laughs> uh, yeah, it, we'll ju- we'll just kind of see with with all those things and. The, the the Celtics team is is really sticking together. I think better than anyone could have probably ever imagined without Gordon Hayward. And I'll be curious to see if they can do it again in Boston tonight. Yeah, Marcus Smart shooting thirty two percent from the field, twenty nine point five percent from three. Pretty pretty much upsetting any like conception we had of how you can how badly you can shoot the ball while still helping your team. Um, it's like, he's like some <laughs> kind of weird litmus test for yeah. like, can you still help your team while being that horrendously inefficient uh, as you a can. shooter? But um, yeah, I mean, he's just one of those guys. He's just such a pest and he just, uh, he's just crazy. Um, so, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun to see. I mean, again, we talk a lot about measuring stick games and um, certainly that, that is absolutely what this is. And um, you know, I, again, Ooh, uh, that, that leads I, me to something. Are the Bucks in the same class as the Celtics? Like, no. I understand their record, but even without their record, would that be a team that you would think they should measure up well against? Or, or who who currently is in that same kind of area? Is it just well, like the Wizards and Raptors? Well, I mean, I mean, here's the thing. Like, look look at the Bucks. Like, I mean, and we talk about like, oh, the Bucks bench is like a problem, the shorthanded, and obviously part of that is is injury. But, um, I mean, if you didn't know what these teams' records were, like, if you looked at the Celtics' record, I mean, the the advanced projections on the Celtics, they they had some really bad projections. Like, I think Kevin Pelton's forecast had them at like forty four wins, um, because frankly, like the you know, like the uh, like RPM based metrics. Didn't love this team. I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of rookies. So you have you have Jason Tatum, who's a rookie of Jalen Brown, who's a second year player. Um, Al Horford is you know a very good player. Obviously, Kyrie has typically been probably overrated relative to, or let's just say his perception is higher than you know his advanced metrics uh, have suggested. He, you know his actual impact on the game is. Um, and, and and I mean, just look at some of the guys that like play for this team, right? I mean, like we talk about like, oh, the Bucks, like, oh, they're playing like you know Liggins and you know Jason Terry. Probably need to talk about Jason Terry suddenly getting twenty minutes per game, which uh, I'm not thrilled at the idea of him playing almost as much as Malcolm Brogdon of late. Which nope. you know, let's see if that continues because that's that ain't right. Um, but uh, but I mean, some of the guys that have played for, I mean, Semi Ojale like has been giving them good minutes defensively, right? Yep. Um, Abdul Nader sometimes plays for this team. I mean, what the hell? Like, I mean, I think he might be back in the D league now, but, um, but I mean, Daniel Tice has started, you know, for the, for this team. Um, Aaron Baines has played big minutes for the team and given them con- contributions. I mean, you know, again, like th- this is a team that has gotten a lot from, um, guys that, you know, again, like you just, if you just eyeballed this roster, not knowing anything about Brad Stevens or, you know, what the expectation was coming into this year, um, I, I don't think you'd necessarily say the Celtics are in some like class way above the Bucks, especially yeah. especially with Bledsoe. And you know, obviously, we've seen the kind of impact Bledsoe can have. Um, you know, Giannis is better than certainly Kyrie and anybody the Celtics have. And you know, beyond that, um, you look at guys like you know Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton. I love Al Horford, but you know, again, from from the perspective of, like sort of just top end talent, um, they're really getting by with just i don't know i mean i i just struggle to figure out like how real the celtics yeah. are especially without gordon hayward and again it's not to say that like oh the bucks 
are going to get to the Celtics level this season or something like that. But um, I, I absolutely think it's a relevant measuring stick because I think from a talent perspective, I don't think there is much separating this team. And again, I think you can make a good case right now, especially that um, certainly from like a proven talent standpoint, the Bucks have probably more talent than, than the Celtics. Yeah, so I, I guess that's just why I find that question interesting because obviously their their records aren't very similar. The Bucks have probably underperformed um, being three games over 500, and uh, the Celtics have overperformed with a 20-4 and four record. So um, I don't know. I just think it's it's interesting to figure out exactly what the what the class of the league is and where the Bucks are in in relation to that. So um, I guess, like you said, measuring stick game and something that uh, we can find out more about tonight. Anything else you're looking at tonight or are you good? I'm good. All right, sounds good. That is going to be it for us. That was Frank Madden. I'm Eric Name. We will talk to you after the Bucks and Celtics go at it on Monday in Boston. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.